0: Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co host, as always, Connor Rebush, We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down the Accor Arena. That, I don't know why I rolled that R. It's not it's not Spain. It's France. In Paris, France. And um yeah, UFC's first trip to France. So they have a card of
2: uh I think it's pretty good.
1: It's a pretty good card, yeah. The, the top two fights are great, and then they've filled it out with some other fights that are other fights.
2: Yeah, there's definitely a, 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 I would say it's about fifty percent other fights. Yeah. But there are like four solid ones. Mm-hmm. Um and some of the other fights don't look that bad, so it's, yeah. it's, it's okay for a uh, for a you know a twelve fight fight night card to have like five, possibly six, pretty good fights. Mm-hmm. It's all right. Yeah. Now just to just to avoid upsetting our many um, f- francophone listeners, can you pronounce that R correctly and uh, say the name of the arena? I really want to. I know you've got a good French R. So.
1: Core. Core. That was, I don't know, Cor? Or,
2: or what is it? Spanish still? Come yeah. On.
1: I can't, I can't, the, the, the R naturally wants to roll off my tongue.
2: No, it's a, uh, you know, a cool, a cool, that's right. There that's we go. Good, actually, I was expecting it to be worse than that, I'll be honest, <laughs> That's pretty good. I, I'm good at
1: the mimicking with things, like if I hear something said correctly, I can say it right back, And then it's, it's just better. in my own mind, when I read stuff, then I just, I mash it all up.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Everything – this is why Portuguese was like the impossible
2: language for me,
1: where it's like – it looks like Spanish. I don't know. I'm going to just say everything Spanish.
2: It sounds wrong. Yeah. It's weird nasal Spanish. It's like French Spanish or something. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Uh, um, you're an idiot is what you're saying. You just sort of mimic what people say to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the card's bad, and I was like, I don't know. And you're like, yeah, actually, it might be good. Monkey see, monkey do. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) – So uh, yeah, you know, I think it's fine, and you agree with me because that's yeah, yeah,
1: it's fine. It's 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 weird because they tried to make it a much more French card, and then like half the fights fell off of it, so they just had to throw a bunch of other fights on it, and now it's like it's still fine, but it's been through a lot of changes.
2: Hasn't MMA been of like questionable legality in France over the last several decades?
1: Yes, it was. uh, They had a brief moment when it was unlegislated. And so there were some MMA fights in like the late 90s, early 2000s, and then French uh, Judo started going to the government and being like, "Yo, dude, you gotta sh- you gotta shut this down. We this sucks. What is this crap Judo?" And uh, mostly they were, I think, just afraid of having ju- top level Judo athletes leave the Judo Federation and draw talent away, so they got it banned. And lobbied hard to keep it banned. And there was like pseudo-MMA where you couldn't, you you could only have like, you couldn't strike on the ground. Right, right, right. And I think there were a lot, of, I think there might have even been some time limits, like 30 seconds or something before they
2: stand them up. Like rings, basically. It wasn't like...
1: Yeah. And so French MMA fighters would all travel to like Belgium or Germany or over to cage warriors in the UK and Bama right. and stuff like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then they finally, um, you know, after years, like fifteen years of lobbying, and got it.
2: Well, maybe that's the problem. Now the UFC's is coming, and they're like, "Where's all the French MMA fighters?" Like they left. Yeah, they're, none of them live in town anymore. <laughs> that's <laughs> right, and like Denmark and and uh, and and the UK.
1: Yeah, at least they. Hey, as a result of this, though, they brought Taylor Lapalus back. he broke his hand, so he's not on the card.
2: I'd like to hear that though. I love Taylor lapolis
1: Right. We all love Taylor lapolis
2: All right, that's cool. That's good news. Yeah. He's not on the card. It would have been great to have him. That would have yeah. pushed this card up another level, but it's good to hear he's back. Yep. Otherwise, uh, our main event, Zero Gone tied to Vasa, is um I think would be much better if like um there wasn't just a se- sort of feeling of um uh I don't know, some some sort of dead air hanging around the heavyweight championship like
1: Yeah, we've got two or three top contenders, and we've got a champion that's in that's still recovering from injury, and And even when he's recovered, might be gone.
2: Yeah, and in some fraught negotiations with the UFC, and yeah, um, you know they're they're floating the Jones Miocic thing, which is never going to happen. But like, it
1: really does seem like both those dudes are just going to be in a perpetual state of. I might be fighting soon for, like, yeah. the next five
2: years. Yeah, Stepe might, um, but Stepe seems like he'll have, like, a happy retirement. John Jones is just going to be unhappy. Yeah. He's going to be 70 years old and still just sort of frustratedly saying that he's about to make his heavyweight debut. Yeah. He's going to be 70 years old and 430 pounds, pure muscle, <laughs> clean, obviously. Mm, yeah. But he still will not fight at heavyweight. It's true. So, anyway, it's a, it's a good fight. It's, unfortunately, it dampened by... You know, what What does it mean? Where's it going?
1: Yeah. But I, you know, I, I like the, yeah, it I like the rise of Tuivasa as a title contender. He's really, he, he's he's sort of, he's doing for, for the heavyweight division now what Derek Lewis did for the heavyweight division five years ago. Yeah. Which is proving that literally just anybody can make it up to the top if they just are like, Waiting around if they're around long enough,
2: yeah, and if you can take a punch and you hit pretty yeah. hard, and yeah,
1: like um, he's, he's fun, but it's it's kind of remarkable that if he wins this, he could be a title contender,
2: yeah, now, having said all that, um is, is it actually a good fight? Cause,
1: yeah what,
2: <laughs> isn't Sirgon just gonna win? Yeah, that seems very likely, right
1: it It seems in, inescapably likely.
2: Like the, the 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 durability of Tuvasa, the fact that he's got good conditioning for a heavyweight. Um, does he? he? He does have pretty good conditioning. He's had some pretty hard fought.
1: He hasn't been past two rounds. He hasn't been past the first minute of the second round.
2: He in... had that fight with Arlovsky? Yeah. That was a wicked fight.
1: That's true. That was a wicked fight. I do wonder. I mean, it's kind of one of those things, though, where like he pretty exclusively had that fight left in his wheelhouse the whole time. Yeah. You know, where they just got to like stand and trade. And so I think, you know, he was able to carry himself pretty well in that. That's but true. But if somebody went out and
2: like wrestled him for a round, would Tai Tuibasa
1: come back and have like a lot left in the tank?
2: I not. would say that fight combined with the madness of the Derrick Lewis fight. There's enough sure. evidence to suggest that Tuvasa has better than average heavyweight conditioning.
1: Yeah, he he might have turned a corner cuz I know I know right when he got to the
2: UFC. It it
1: when, in the lead up early in his career it seemed like his conditioning was pretty abysmal, but
2: yeah, all all I know is most dudes don't like get hurt multiple times and then clinch up and try to wrestle Derrick Lewis. Yeah. Uh, and finish the fight, not just like completely either, you know, actually dead on the floor or dead tired on the floor. True. Um, it's true. I, I think his conditioning is pretty good. Um, I mean, you know, we're stacking him up against Gaon gone here, who, of course, yes. has like some of the best conditioning, if not the best conditioning in the whole division. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is also typically perfectly content to just like see what openings work and just stick at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, stick in a pretty literal sense, because it's going to be jabs and it's also going to be kicks and there's going to be a lot of footwork. And uh, if this was a small cage, I think it might be very different or at least a little different. But I, the thing with Tuivasa is he's not really the most dynamic fighter in the world. He's, he's not that quick. He's not that crafty. He has perfectly competent form by heavyweight standards. Uh, but what you mean, like he will lead with his jab and finish with his left hook. Mm-hmm. He's a two handed fighter. Um, but, you know, like in, in terms of um, pressuring, say pressuring Cyril gone with footwork and fainting to get him to backpedal and then l- pouncing on him, you know, like maybe like Mark Hunt would have done. Uh, he doesn't really seem to have that. He's more plodding, more predictable.
1: Yeah, I think the big thing for him even isn't, isn't necessarily a lack of speed. It's just the predictability. Yeah, there's not a lot of the target change. There's not a lot of yeah feints. There's not a, it, it, you're you're gonna get like you're gonna watch him wade into the pocket and start slinging hooks at your head. And yeah, you know, even if you're pretty fast by heavyweight standards, you, that's still a
2: really predictable setup. So, um, serial gun, I think by decision, possibly, um, attrition has a different effect, but I still think, um, I don't know that gone at this point, I mean, maybe if he feels like, uh Oh, I'm being shut out of the picture. I want that rematch with Nganu, Maybe he, um, he kind of does what he does to did to Derek Lewis, but I think, and, and kind of, you know, accepts some risks and goes for an exciting finish. Uh-huh. Uh, but typically that's not what he does. And again, I, I don't necessarily think that Tuvasa is going to be, I don't think he's as breakable as Lewis.
1: Well, Lewis is sort of a fascinatingly brittle fighter in as yes. much as he can take a lot of punishment while having like these horrible reactions where he's like turning away from strikes or covering up and looking really injured. And then he can take a huge amount of damage yeah. in that moment but it's not hard to get him in a position where it seems like he is about to be broken.
2: Yeah, where he's just like a wounded beast. hmm Yeah. Um. I don't think that's typically the case with Tuvasa. Like, no, like... Tu, Tuvasa's
1: much more. He will throw himself at the wall. If, if, hey. if there's something there to hurt him, he will throw himself at it over and over again, and he might get knocked out in the process, but there's no, oh, I'm injured, oh, I don't know what to do, any of that, like...
2: Yeah. So I'm thinking a decision.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking late TKO. Mm -hmm. Um, The big thing, honestly, that is a change up here is that Gon will wrestle.
2: Yeah, that's interesting.
1: Um, He likes to add it into his. his, He likes to throw it into his game just a little bit, see what he can make happen out of it. And I think that will be enough to really put Tuivasa off his stride, because yeah. tu- Tuivasa is a really not good wrestler. His He's instincts not... for it are bad.
2: Yeah, I think it's more his grappling. Like he, yeah, he he actually his wrestling looked a little better against Derek Lewis. I think maybe that was because a lot of the wrestling he was kind of dictating that's the thing is Tuvasa himself will go for takedowns, which would be a very funny thing. Like, there is the possibility that either guy ending up on top of the other could have great success.
1: Yeah, but Tuvasa may go for takedowns, but he's never hit a takedown
2: in the UFC. No. Yeah, that's true.
1: So if he goes for takedowns on Cyril Khan, I think he will just get
2: himself out wrestled.
1: I think he's half
2: hit one a couple of times where like he just can't actually fully convert it. But yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, he turned, you know, he he turned Sergey Spivak into, you know, yeah, <laughs> like Kane Velasquez out there.
2: <laughs> like, yeah. The thing is God, does, God's also not really a good wrestler.
1: He's not really a good wrestler, but he will go for it and it's just not that hard to get Tuivasa off balanced.
2: No, you're absolutely right. He's not that light on his feet and uh has a bunch of bunch of ways yeah. of entering in and setting up different uh, sort of switch ups He
1: does a lot of overthrowing, and when he gets a shot in, he tries to react to it violently. Yeah, you know, it's just like I say, the instincts and the reactions are bad for yeah. that. So I think if Gon can get on, like I said, I don't know, Tuivasa, his cardio is good if he's in a brawl, but if Gon gets on top of him and starts just holding him down and working working him over. I don't think he has any of the Derek Lewis sense of calm and presence of mind to just like accept that and not have it panic him and really drain him. Yeah. So I think that he's going to start to get really tired as this fight goes on, which is why I think I could easily see Gon picking up a TKO in the third or fourth rounds.
2: Sure. Part of me would love this to be the fight where like Cyril Gon just gets caught like doing something lazy. There's all mm-hmm. kinds of little yeahs that are wrong that he just gets away with because he's faster and uh, sure and not and and more risk averse, frankly, than most heavyweights. Yep. Um, but I just uh, yeah, barring Tuivasa getting lucky, it just seems like gone has um, a lot of rounds uh, for the taking here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's like I said. I like that has gotten himself into this picture. It's something mm-hmm. that. When he was getting out, wrestled by Sergei Spivak, and knocked out by 2018 Junior Dos Santos, <laughs> you would not have thought for him
2: prime JDS, as they call him. Uh, I think m- more like
1: uh,
2: prime, as in like prime rib.
1: Yeah, like yeah. this
2: is a this is a quality cut of meat right here. <laughs> skirt
1: sk- skirt steak JDS
2: Choice, yes. <laughs> USDA choice.
1: Um But yeah, like it, it it would have been, it seemed really unlikely. And then he went out and rattled off five straight knockout wins, culminating in that awesome uh, Derek Lewis win. And now he's here and it's cool. Yeah. Like heavyweight allows for that kind of stuff. Somebody who's around and just sort of low-key improving and st- is dangerous yeah. can go on a run at any time. Mm-hmm.
2: So. But Derek Lewis was always going to be a close to 50-50 fight. And this
1: it, it, yeah, Derek Lewis being the kind of fighter who does get into a position where he seems breakable, seems like there's yeah. some brittleness to him really easily. It was a much more 50-50 fight.
2: I mean, game. not that we're right all the time, but I'm pretty no. sure one of us picked Tuivasa in that fight, and neither of us is going to pick him here.
1: Yeah, I, I, picked, I think I picked Lewis, but I was just like coin flipping. I was like, they're going to start a brawl, yeah. and... Uh, both of them are going to get hurt in that for all and I think Derek Lewis will be the one to to land the big counter shot to knock Tuivasa out and not Tuivasa being the one to, to land the big counter shot to knock Derek Lewis out but it was Tuivasa landing the counter so mm-hmm. well, it
2: kind of both happened it was just a
1: yeah. Tuivasa yeah. they both got hurt and Tuivasa was the one that landed the big counter shot after right you know uh, yeah I don't expect that to be the case with John uh, odds on the bout Cyril Ghosn is a commanding favorite. Opened at minus 300, dropped to minus 570, is currently at a minus 556. Taishui Voss opened at plus 250, jumped up to plus 402, and is currently at plus 405. All right, that brings us to a middleweight bout, Robert Whittaker, Marvin Vittori, and I have the sneaking suspicion that this is going to be a very close, difficult fight. Mm. Because the surface level, the easy read to make is that this is Robert Whitaker about. Like, it, you know, this is a more finely tuned version of Gone to Ibassa, mm-hmm. where you have Marvin Vittori who pretty much religiously throws one twos yeah. and has been like making the dramatic changes lately of sometimes changing the speed on those punches <laughs> and sometimes making one of them a hook instead of a straight.
2: I don't know why I'm picturing a sort of like a new age, like a mega church service with some bad contemporary Christian and the camera is panning across a bunch of people, you know, doing that thing where their hands are in the air. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then we come to Marvin Vittori just pumping one-twos. Yes. Religiously he, throwing one-twos. Religiously. He's our modern-day Vitor Belfour. Now, that that's true. And I, I think you're probably going to bring this layer in yourself, but... We saw a better boxing Marvin Vittori last time out.
1: Yeah. There has become... There's grown some nuance in there. Yeah. He he is including more slips to counters. And he is... Like I say, he's changing speed. He's changing the angle on some of these punches. Sometimes he's not even throwing the one. He's just throwing the two. You know? Like... There has grown... There, nuance has grown into his game, but I would say a lot of that nuance is based on his comfort against the quality of his opposition. Mm-hmm. The better his op- opponent is, the more he reverts to classic Marvin. You know? Yeah. Like, Israel Adesanya had Marvin Vittori looking like he... Barely knew how to box. Again, you know, just stripped away all of the advanced layers he'd been working on, and suddenly it was like oh, I have to cut the cage and throw hands. Okay, one, it is. You know, mm-hmm. as the nuance is highly dependent on the opponent. True. Again, I think
2: also that you can run up to the fence or who will yeah. come corner you against the fence and yeah you get to stand in front of each other
1: and i think robert whitaker will be will present a lot of those problems for vittori yeah the thing is though that we've talked about this before whitaker can't really turn down an opportunity if the opportunity is in front of him sure He, he tried for a minute against adesanya in the rematch and he got forced into it with Darren Till, into this idea of just being like extra conservative outfighter.
2: But it's really against his nature. He's it's really un- against his, his tense. And the best fight
1: and the, and the
2: best the, the best success he
1: found against Adesanya was when he just realized it's like, OK, no, I just got to I got to double and triple up on my left hand and just, you know, work behind my jab and step forward
2: and not wait and sit back on this guy some genius suggested that that could be the basis going in for a it, it's really true a... it's
1: true and you I think you also <laughs> <said>. <laughs> pretty good um, <laughs> but the th- so you know the thing with these fights is like even in the you know like the cannon fight too and the Gastelum fight, like, they can be very clean performances from Whitaker to a point. There's always points where chasing strikes will get Whitaker into a bit of a firefight. Sure. And with Cannoneer and Gastelum, they weren't necessarily the highest output um Grimiest fighters out there. Sure. You know, Gastelum has been notably notable for his unwillingness to push the pace on people at times. Yeah. And Cannoneer has just, you know, he's he's a power shot artist. He's looking yeah. to line people up for a fairly steady
2: paced diet
1: of extremely big shots.
2: Yeah. And if he ups his pace, it, it takes a while to get there.
1: Yeah. Vittori is pretty high paced. And Pretty nonstop, and to date has been pretty unbreakable.
2: He's immortal,
1: and I think he could draw Whitaker into something. Not you know, he, maybe he can't hurt Whitaker as bad, but he could draw him into something somewhat resembling the Romero fights. Well, here's the
2: thing: there's a major ingredient that gas, guys like Gaslam and Cannoneer have, even Darren Hill fetori doesn't and it is power
1: yeah no I am not saying he could I'm not picking him to win and I'm not saying he can win I'm just saying that if he if he's not going to get knocked out by Whitaker yeah Whitaker will give him chance, probably give him chances to punch him it, he will he will draw the kind of fight out of Whitaker that
2: lets Whitaker get punched yeah that's fine but the problem with Whitaker isn't just getting punched it's getting hurt and getting scared sure I, I just don't think that vittori will get scared i think he'll no vittori's not going to but i don't think whitaker will either i mean i think Whitaker's no. at his core is quite comfortable with a firefight it's just when it's the prospect of like am i going to make a terrible mistake i mean adesanya in particular and yeah. i think um vittori doesn't have that kind of frame no have that range to, to just make whitaker uncomfortable from the outset and um, without those things, like Whitaker, can just win exchanges with people.
1: Yeah, and I think he will. I'm just saying, I think this will also be an uglier, closer fight than people are ready for. I think Marvin uh, Vittori will stick in it and make people make make Whitaker work harder than people are ready
2: for. Vittori, uh, as Phil pointed out, he tends to have that effect on everyone. Yeah, I mean, be, yeah, being functionally immortal is uh is real handy for the very for at the very least making everyone have a difficult fight with you. Yeah. Uh, and so, I,
1: I think, I, I mean, I, I got to pick Whitaker to win it still. It's just, I can easily see a case where Whitaker is landing, you know, a sh- landing his jab and looking to slip counters. And Vittori marches in with a one-two and he lands one of those shots and he still gets countered really hard, but he just keeps trying it, you know? Yeah. And if, even if he's landing one strike to every one of Whitaker's two, it could feel like a much tougher fight than people expect
2: from Whitaker. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I I think it will absolutely be a little messy and probably not look as, as pretty as not nearly as pretty as something like the Gastelum fight. It's not going to be a a pure showcase, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it will be in a way, a different kind of showcase because again, I think Whitaker is going to find the bigger moments in those exchanges. I don't think, I mean, honestly, um, I think it's almost more likely that Whitaker actually drops Vittoria at some point.
1: Oh yeah. No, absolutely.
2: I can absolutely see that happening. Um he will hit you with some when you're extending exchanges and uh he, he will hit you with some very, very sneaky shots. Uppercuts, left hooks, um, of course the high kicks. I don't yep. think it's gonna finish Vittoria. I will not pick anyone to do that no. seeing no. that it's actually possible. But um you know, a flash knockdown is not out of the cards.
1: No, absolutely, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Vittori has gotten wobbled in fights.
2: Yeah, and Whitaker is definitely a dangerous striker.
1: Yeah, I just think that he can he can put the kind of pressure on Whitaker that makes Whitaker have messy
2: fights. Yeah, sure. You know, that's really it. <coughs> Ooh, excuse me. Yeah, I still, um, I, I, uh, I, I agree with that. I still like it for Whitaker. I think. Um, Whitaker forced to play, um, to like respond to pressure often is some of his best work. Mm-hmm. Um, again, when he's, uh, when he's not dealing with like a, an insane, uh, size difference or reach difference, um, he's, he's really, really sharp off the back foot. Yeah. And get, so, you know, more so than I think most people that Vittori will make really uncomfortable with his pace. Yeah. With the power not an equation, that means those exchanges are probably fairly safe for Whitaker and then the other thing that Vittori has that makes fights horrible and ugly and slow is his wrestling and I just don't see that being a commanding factor in this fight.
1: no, he's not a great ta- nearly as great a takedown artist as he is just a dogged one
2: exactly, and uh, Whitaker is a perfectly capable takedown defender, yeah, more than capable he in fact again maybe Whitaker out-wrestles Vittori at some point. Would it be a good idea? I don't know, but something to mix in. He's been doing it more lately. That would also not surprise me. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I'm picking Whitaker. I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be, like, an absolute blowout because Vittori just doesn't really lose those fights.
1: Yeah, Uh, I mean, the only guy to beat him in the past half, you know, in the past six years is Israel Adesanya.
2: Right. And even, uh, honestly, both their fights were messy.
1: Yeah, so I, I think Mont- Vittoria will draw a messy fight out of Whitaker. It'll still be a fight that I'm picking Whitaker to win. Yeah, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it, if people are, you know, I mean, I know there's still a lot of trepidation. There, there always seems to be a lot of trepidation about Whitaker. People well, it's-
2: which- they all know fights. It's everyone. Yeah. He's like a hardcore fan favorite, so everyone gets really nervous. Yeah,
1: yeah. Everybody believes that like him getting knocked out by Israel Adesanya three years ago, yeah, has been like ha- had a del- deleterious effect on his career. That we're just waiting for that other shoe to drop now. Every yeah. fight, it's like, oh yeah, but he got knocked out, so maybe this is what his chin's is just going to fail him here. And it's just like, but have- this is you know. He's been putting out some masterclasses in that fight with Darren Till, and then the fight with Adesanya was a perfectly fine, you know, simmering five-round fight.
2: Yeah, I don't know if the Darren Till fight was a masterclass. No, I, mean, I meant the the, the master class. I said master classes and a fight with Dan. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The gas fight, the cannoneer fight. These are pre- fantastic performances. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is why we introduced the concept of the sadness. That's what yeah. it was doing. They're like everyone likes Whitaker. How, yeah. how how do you how do you not like Robert Whitaker? Um, and also, I think it's just that thing where like when Whitaker was on his run, I mean, those fights with Romero, it's like, oh, this man is immortal, like nothing yeah. can for him, nothing can take him out of his element. He can adapt to anybody. He's fearless and flawless. And then you're that's a pretty horrible way to have that misconception <laughs> taken away. It's seven brutally KO'd by Adesanya. Yeah. And then it having an obvious psychological effect on him in in other matchups. Sure. So. I I get it, but yeah, I mean, this is not those matchups. Robert Whitaker is still Robert Whitaker. Those things were there the whole time, and um, it looks like a decent, if uh, probably quite messy, fight for him.
1: Whitaker opened at minus 225. He's currently at a minus 228. Vittori opened at plus 188, and he's currently at plus 184. Reasonable odds, sure. actually, you know not a huge favorite for Whitaker. Like I said, Bittori, the only person to beat Vittori lately has been Israel Adesanya. And yeah. I don't think that like that I, Whitaker will, I think he will entertain a tougher fight with Vittori than Adesanya was willing to.
2: Yes. I don't think Whitaker can fight the kind of fight Adesanya fought. Yeah. Uh, so Psychologically or physically, I don't think he's suited to it.
1: Yeah. But the, you know, so we're really banking on this being the kind of fight where you know, Whitaker had or Vittori had against somebody like Paulo Costa or Jack Hermanson, but he yeah. can't win it this time.
2: Yeah. What if Jack Hermanson was like a freak athlete who could? Yeah. Not, wow. Yeah.
1: All right, that brings us to a middleweight bout: Alessio DeCicco, Roman Kapalov, and um...
2: weird fight. Weird fight, really, really hard to predict. Really, it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had a hell of a time watching footage and being like, "What is either of these guys' thing?" Well, for Roman Kapalov,
1: at least, it's a pretty, he he's got a really easy game to reckon with. Yeah, it's that he's a, a volume striker who is used to being the biggest, toughest yeah. guy on the circuit he was on, and so he would just go out and. Throw lots, of com- throw lots of punches and throw lots of combinations, throw lots of volume and keep at it until his opponent got tired, got worn down, broke under the pressure, and he would win.
2: And it hasn't taken a particularly high level of competition in the UFC to make him not even look like a high output striker. Yeah. he's
1: he's get, He's getting met by people who are every bit as big as him and who hit a lot harder. And now he's having to readjust this idea that he can just step in front of somebody and be
2: busy. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's funny to think of him as like a big tough guy who intimidates people because he looks like like Chase Hooper's cousin.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Chase Super. Vladislav <laughs> Vladislav Lod- Hooper.
2: That's that's <laughs> right. I feel like mine was obviously a better pun, but somehow yours is funnier. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So, the, yeah, the problem is, is he he hasn't even like he's he's been thrown out of his style by the this level of competition, by the fact that his opponents are physical and tough and not intimidated by him. Yeah. And, uh In turn, you know, like most sort of bullying dynamics, he has been intimidated by them because of that. Mm-hmm. But let's see. The Kirko is such an interesting fighter. He's the most interesting fighter with the least interesting fights I've ever seen
1: he is absolutely the prototype of this idea that like what if you weren't good at anything but mma
2: yeah
1: you know yeah. what mean, if it... all you did was ever learn mma without any prior like without even an, an idea of what kind of fighter you wanted to be
2: yeah you know he he is he is of this rare thing where he's an all terrain fighter but it's a hindrance. Yeah, he doesn't know like what sort of course to set the fight on. Mm-hmm. He's he's an all terrain fighter, but he is purely tactical. And the thing is, is he's a good tactician. Yeah, Dicurico is like a creative. You know, because of the he's just like an MMA native, maybe, uh, and a solid athlete. He will just sort of come up with ideas as the fight goes on. He's a pretty good counterpuncher. Um, he can put together nice combinations and set, set things up. He will always be willing to like explore the wrestling, and if it doesn't work, immediately go into something else. All of these good ideas, which are completely disconnected from each other. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, there's just a lot of empty space between. But uh, in, in like a sort of reverse Marvin Vittori way, um, he's he's almost never an easy fight for anyone. Yeah. Like even um. Mahmoud Murdov had a tricky time with DiCurico, who, like again, will never take over the fight, but every mistake you make, he's going to be like cataloging and being like, how can I land a counter right hand or how can I you know, evade that and then high kick you as you're pulling back or whatever. He's thinking and coming up with solutions. Um, I think that's enough reason for me to pick him because Kapalov, even if he does get back to his old game, is pretty predictable yeah only does two, two things the, the one and the two, yeah which is yeah. kind of one thing most of the time yeah um you know he's he's got pretty quick hands um he he can be sharp and surprising, but it's not a lot for a guy like Carico to have to adjust to, and as long as the fight remains that simple, Carico is the guy who he he's the far more diverse fighter he will the other thing is like a couple of um yeah, like he himself is like totally fixated. He was so bad at defending those low kicks from Carl Roberson. Mm-hmm. Like any ability to mix things up, I feel like just takes him out of his element because he thinks, I think you're right, like, oh, you're my opponent. You're supposed to be on the end of my one-two. You're supposed to be worried about that. And now that he's in this situation where nobody cares, he it's become his problem, that he's fixated on these these weapons. Yeah. Um, and you can just surprise him and take him out of his element. So I, I think it's still going to be really tough for Dekarico because, again, he doesn't like know how to seize an initiative or how to force his opponent to respond to things. But if you're going to go in there and just feed him the same openings over and over, he can probably come up with some ways to to stun you, to take you down, whatever. So I'll yeah. t- I'll take DiCarico.
1: It's tough because he's rarely ever b- beat anyone who has like. Yeah. Any kind of plan about how to fight him at all? Right. You know, like the Gareth McQuellen, McClellan, Olawali Bamboge, Julian Marquez, even Joaquin Buckley. Yep. These are all just kind of messy idea fighters in the moment. Well, McClellan's just sub UFC athlete and all, all, took, almost went to a split. He went to a split decision with, with uh, D. Kiriko. Yep. But the rest of these guys. You know, you can be a good athlete and not beat Alessio Carico if you just are going to go wild and make mistakes and give up easy opportunities. But then, you know, like Zach Cummings went out
2: there and just pieced him up. Yeah. And Kevin Holland and Mark Muradov both kind of struggled to piece him up. Yeah. Typically difficult to look good against He's Again, that's why I compared him to Vince Yeah.
1: I think there's there's potential for Kapilov to become a better fighter. But then again, he's also 31, even though he looks like he's 14. And he's been doing this for a little while now, and it just doesn't... He's only had 10 fights, but... Like there, just there seems to be like a gear that Kapalov could go to. He's especially like stru- surprisingly strong late in fights. Yeah. You know that t- that toughness that he's used to relying on and that ability to break people down the stretch it comes back. Like he was yeah. getting whooped by both.
2: Now um, oh, I just closed. Roberson and Durayev.
1: Yeah, Roberson and Durayev. and he came back in the third rounds of both of those fights and made them competitive and interesting. Yeah.
2: You know, even while Roberson was chewing his leg up, he would again. He's got surprisingly quick hands. Sometimes he would just lash out with a left straight and land a super clean punch, and then go back to losing. But he needs the volume. Yeah, and uh, I mean, make those 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 factors successful for him. It's not heavyweight, you know. It's true. DiCarico won't push
1: volume though, so there is an opportunity for him to get started if he can get started fast. It's true, and he probably won't put him away either. So. You know, there's also a chance for him to, to come back late and mount mount a return. Ah, that's very true. That's very true. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Koppel off. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna take the flyer that he's gonna improve and show something new and show a little more dedication. And that DeCarico just won't create enough to to make him that hesitant. Yeah. But it's it's a weird fight. Like it is a fight that is incredibly hard to pick between two guys who've had a lot of trouble
2: Getting their game off the ground in the UFC. Two guys with with quite a lot of potential, but severely limited.
1: Yeah. Odd to have it dead even. D. opened at minus 150. It's currently at minus 112. Kapalov opened at plus 130. It's currently down at minus 109. Sounds great. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. John McDessie, Nazrat Hakparast. And. I love this it's, fight. Yeah, it's, it's a good fight. It's 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 a fascinating fight because it's it feels like very much a test for Nazrat Hakhparost, like an ultimate test of what kind of fighter do you, what, what kind of career do you want to have in the UFC? Mm-hmm. Because McDessie... If you go out and you fight if Hawk Frost goes out and fights John Mcdessey the way he fought Bobby Green mm-hmm. Mcdessey is not as slick as Bobby Green, but he if he get, if he gets into a flow and if he feels comfortable with what his opponent is offering him, he can get into a similar you know kind of slick uh slip and counter punch and get inside and make boxing exchanges work for him kind of fight. Like that fight he had with uh, Ignacio Bahamondes was a great example of even against a taller, longer fighter. um, McDessie found his rhythm inside of Bahamondes' striking game and just took it to him. Mm Mm-hmm. And Hakperov can be a very predictable striker. Mm Mm-hmm. And his, even though he seems like he should have some some speed and power on his strikes, the fact that he gets so predictable and um, really doesn't change it up much makes it pretty hard for him to knock anybody out.
2: Yeah. Yeah, the the eye is always quicker than the hand. Yeah. Yeah, So, uh, you know, to make your speed a factor, you have to have another element of surprise. They have to be expecting something else. And, and it, at the
1: same time, if Hakparost is like at all willing to try and like find any kind of wrestling game, he could probably just take this fight away from John McDessey.
2: You know? How good of a wrestler is Hakparost, really? McDessey's not a bad defensive wrestler. He is small, that's He's, always been a problem. Yeah but uh, not a lot of people out wrestle john McDessie.
1: yeah it's, it's it's hard just not to think of the notable times when it has happened and then he just seems so stuck because of his size yeah but it is true he does not he has not over the course of his career given up actually that many
2: takedowns you know what i'm going to go with john mcdesey that's what i'm doing
1: i Hawk like it should be right there for him He's a decade younger. He has the speed. He has the power. But he's just kind of roped himself into this really predictable boxing game. And like we just saw against Bobby Green, if you're a better boxer than him, what's he going to do?
2: You know? Yeah. I mean, there's also the thing. The reason I like this matchup is there's a lot of factors. that Like the timing seems perfect in so many ways because Mm -hmm. – I actually, I, I like, I like hate to put it this way. It feels very bloodless because uh, I like John McDessy way more than I like Nassar Um But like, you know, it's at this point in McDessie's career, Hawkbrust might just get lucky.
1: Yeah, sure. You, you could just go out there and knock him out. He's, McDessie has not been knocked out very much. He's, it's no. been head kicks that have done it. You know, really surprising moves from Donald Cerrone and Lando
2: Venata. No. But Bob has landed a ton of shots on him. And, yeah, um, you know, Trinaldo landed he he has shots on him. Uh, pe- people are not. It's John McGuessie's a good defensive fighter, but everyone's bigger than him. And get that Tito Ortiz head. And he's got that Tito Ortiz head,
1: which it has a gravitational pull that bring punches into it.
2: <laughs> I mean, statistically and historically, he's he's a very good defensive striker. Yeah. I think he's actually been like top tier for most of his UFC career.
1: Yeah. His striking defense is almost 70%.
2: Yeah. That's very good for, for the UFC. It is. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think that Ba Bahamunda's fight, you know, again, Bahamunda is absolutely gigantic. Wasn't literally, wasn't even in the weight class. Yeah. Um, and just having such a, sh- a insanely high output style, McDessie, Realizing that he had to like pressure, he had to get into the pocket, he had to counter this guy. He was going to take shots with the approach mm-hmm. he had to take to that fight. But, uh, you know, he's 37 years old. So, like, uh, mistakes become not only are, are there more of them, but they become more dramatic. Um, yeah. Get older. So, and Hawkbrust is a dangerous dude, especially in the first round. Yep. But all the other things you said, McDessey is just such a classy striker. He really is. And uh, that really smacks of Bobby Green as an opponent for, for yeah. Hawk Frost, Like is. if
1: McDessie can just be a little elusive in the pocket and come back a, with a little more variety and a little cleaner technique, Absolutely. he's the kind of striker that will stick to that edge all the way through.
2: Yeah, you know. Yeah, and um, and Hawkfrost I'm. I think there's also reason to think that. It, it, like, his confidence could be at an all-time low. I think that yeah. fight on the heels of, uh, of the other loss. Who was that prior loss? Jeff? Hooker. To Dan Hooker. These are both just, like, disciplined fighters just completely outclassing him. And, like, yeah. you can see how frustrated he is.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, this is a dude that, like, I remember when he came to the UFC, some people who were in his... like in his part of the world we're coming to me and being like this dude's gonna be a future champ just wait and see just wait and see you know got all the speed he's got all the power yeah and uh it's just not you you know he's he's hitting this wall where his game has not changed and improved and have the skill yeah and people are taking him apart for that now
2: yeah And yeah, skill matters, and um, I think that like especially the camp he's at too. Like I don't know what's going on for us these days, but the game plan he like uh, equipped him with for Bobby Green just didn't cut it. Yeah, there's just not enough striking depth at that camp, and I, I don't know. Maybe Hawk Ross has done something different. Get a boxing coach, MMA fighters, all of you, get a boxing coach. Um. But I don't know that he has one, and it certainly didn't look like he had one, and yeah, that predictability, the inability to consistently cut off the cage, the lack of a jab, the I mean, usually the lack of a right hand, even though like when he does throw his right hook, it's sneaky and powerful, just doesn't use it enough, um, you know, doesn't throw like a lot of leg kicks, doesn't work the body enough, doesn't faint very much. Like yeah. it's just no subtlety to what Hawkbrust wants to do. And th- those are the kind of problems that a guy like Mcdessey even at this age, I think can just poke holes in for 15 minutes straight. So, yeah, uh, I think it's perfectly possible. Hawkbrust makes a big improvement. It's a long time coming. Yep. I think it's possible. He gets lucky even if he's losing, but uh, I do think him sort of losing the big picture is the most likely thing. And, um, provided he doesn't knock McDessie out. it looks like a another exciting late-career McDessie decision to me.
1: Yeah, he's really... On, Hot Cross really is on that train that makes me always so nervous about fighters who start as teens. Like, he's been fighting for a decade now. He's only 27. And one of the things that ends up happening with a lot of fighters who start that young, who go pro that young, is they get locked into training they got early in their career, which may not have been that high level, may not have, you know, get locked into technical advice and technical training that they got when they were teenagers at gyms that were not world-class. And then they also like, they just sort of end up in this weird plateau where they're not, able they're able to hang around and have a a longer career than people who start in their twenties. But that longer career might still be mean being done by 30 or done by 32, you know, and just not ever the, the Rory McDonald thing where like, you know, you're talking about this kid at 16 and being like, man, he's got all the talent, the potential in the world to improve and all that. And, you know, you, he was a good, he had a good career for a long time.
2: Oh, yeah. I think Roy McDonald's a better, <laughs> It paid off more for him than most guys who were in this situation.
1: Yeah. But even for him, like, yeah. he, he never became champ in the UFC, he became champ in Bellator. And there just ended up being this sort of long plateau for McDonald's career from like 25 on, where you're just kind of like, oh, he, this is just who Roy McDonald is now.
2: Yep. And um, potential is just potential. Yeah, yeah. you got to you got to do things. You got to build, and then you look at a guy like John McDessie, who was like too small for the division when he started.
1: Yeah,
2: just way too small now. But that entire time, good defense, good fundamentals, still yeah. here, still looks pretty good. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, odds on the bout.
1: McDessie is a big underdog, opened at plus one seventy, dropped to plus one sixty two, currently up at plus one eighty-four. So the line's only getting wider on McDessie. Huck Frost opened at minus two hundred, jumped up to minus one eighty nine, is currently down at minus two twenty-seven.
2: I feel like this should be a coin flip. I mean, I feel yeah. like Huckprost's advantages are meaning are very meaningful, but they are all about youth. Um, and McDessy's advantages are just as meaningful, and he's just not that to typically, that vulnerable a fighter to those kinds of things. So
1: yeah, uh, well, we're taking the flyer on McDessie with
2: betting zero dollars. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that brings it to my a... reputation saying, which you know is very important to me.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I'll see if I can change that for a fiver. Or... <laughs>
2: <laughs> All well, right. This guy watches like noir films. You can tell by his comebacks. <laughs> 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 All right. Okay. All right. Okay. You'll pay for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I feel
1: like I'm picking on the burden of debt here, but sure. <laughs> all right. Um, by the way, about William Go- Gomes, Gomes, I think, actually. William Gomes. William it's, Gomes. Yeah. Jarn- Jarno Ahrens. And uh, this is, you know, this is a bit of that... Uh, uh, what the the Yasmin Yasmin thing from a couple yeah. weeks ago, where you had a couple newcomers. I uh, you know didn't know a lot about these guys going in, and watching tape on them, like this is going to be a pretty good fight.
2: I think so. It's they they are still both a little. They both clearly have potential. Yeah. They're both still a little like blank slatey to me. Uh, certainly, two guys who uh, do not turn down enough opportunities to yeah. Like, spin. Yeah. Well, yeah. Go for some like show stopping, cool move. Like they, they're both have um, pretty well like cultivated careers so far, mm-hmm. designed to like build their confidence, test them just enough. Uh, they've both been uh, matched fairly well, I think, and brought along. Yep. But the result of that is, like, both of these dudes are definitely rearing for a prospect loss. Oh, sure, sure. It's like, why did you do that stupid thing when you could have just kept working? They don't – they're not very consistent fighters.
1: Yeah, but they're a lot of fun. I mean, Gomi's – his striking game reminds me a lot of Terrence McKinney. Yeah. Just very much, like, hyper-fast, charge-out. Here's a, a, a jumping switch head kick or a body kick to a one two right away, straight out of the gate, just trying to trying to get his opponent out as fast as
2: possible. Yeah. Any um, uh, William Gomi? Any relation to Takanori Gomi? Oh God. Takanori Gomi.
1: You know he comes from a fighting family. It's a it's a I- bit diverse. They have you know the the family tree's a little fractured here and there.
2: but they come together at holidays over that's right over legos (laughs) um i don't even remember why that was a thing with gomi what was the thing with gomi liking legos i don't know okay um yeah i yeah i mean i I don't know i I find both these guys frustrating at the moment to be honest um Mm. like I, i i like gomi's game better yeah i do too um, I think he's, uh, between the two of them, m- more just sort of like stable and paying attention to his opponent and calmer under fire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he he tends to start each fight looking like a good boxer. Yeah. And then he kind of gets into a place where like if the other guy's coming after him, he just sort of will settle against the cage after a couple minutes and kind of forget about the good boxing. He'll kind of forget to keep changing angle and keep sharpshooting and he'll think... I can, uh, I'm can. i faster than this guy. Yeah. I can nail him in the pocket before he nails me with my ass against the fence. Or I can grab him in a clinch, which he really likes. He's a big like punch and clutch fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, he will come in with the counter, single counter, and then crash into the clinch and try to work some knees. And he's pretty good there, but it's yet another area where people routinely surprise him because he thinks he's just like sunning them. Yeah. Um, and is not actually paying attention to what they can do. One thing I really don't like about Gomi is that, um, when he does get in this like toe to toe kind of situation and he's like, he typically when, when that happens, he's waiting for the opponent to fire so he can counter them. Um, he locks out his front knee. He like stands with his lead leg completely straight.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: That's very bad. Um, yeah. I I just shudder to think of somebody like stomp kicking him on the knee when he's just standing there waiting to find out what's going to happen. Uh, but also like it's just not a good position from which to move flexibly and absorb punches and um so so yeah again there's just these little technical faults um with a game that I think is is sort of better pointed more in the direction of like having a good consistent process. Yeah. Aaron's is more jumpy. Mm-hmm. um a little more conor mcgregory sean o'malley e
1: yeah very much a like be patient pick my spots to do something flashy kind of right
2: um an even paced striker exactly a sniper kind of kind yeah. of yeah um and he's fast he's powerful mm-hmm. he's pretty accurate one of his main problems is that uh, he will get hyper fixated on landing that big shot and just start overthrowing and becoming very obvious. Um, you know, he has this like this appearance of a, of a crafty surprising striker, but he will just get kind of zoned in on doing the same thing. And he and Gomi both do way too many spinning strikes. Yeah. For, for Aaron, it tends to be like spinning kicks that literally never work. And for Gomi, it's like spinning elbows and back fists and stuff like out of the clinch mm-hmm. that are his just, just particular poison. Um. So I don't know. How do you actually expect the fight to play out? I, I'm I'm I,
1: I I think you're probably going to get a few big clashes. Gomi re, Gomi's really likes to like lunge in with a three strike combo. That's all really fast and really aggressive. Yeah and will often fall into the pocket as a result of that. You know, very much a fighter who's not afraid to just go in and clash with somebody. Yeah. And I think that'll probably happen pretty quick with Aaron's, who um, can himself get clinched up because he's so focused on, you know, trying to let go of these perfect strikes for the perfect situation that
2: people just come after him. They can push him to the cage, and... His most recent loss, they just got straight-up out-wrestled, which is mm-hmm. a possibility here, because Gomi is actually pretty good at, like, finding his way to the rear-waist cinch. Yeah. His sort of punch entries into clinches are pretty solid.
1: Yeah, and both men tend to get pretty wild on the ground. Yeah. I think Gomi's is actually probably a better scrambler. Aaron seems like a fighter who... Uh, if I'm trying to... I'm, you know, remembering correctly... We'll often just, like, try to overly aggressively hunt hunt a submission or hunt a position and get swept or just get, like, end up in a scramble where I think Gomi's—he ends up in a lot of scrambles, too. He doesn't control the ground game very well. No. But I think he might be able to win out on those kinds of scrambles or at least— end up with both men getting back to their feet at range.
2: Yeah. And I think Aaron's between the two of them is much more willing to like sort of just accept guard and start looking for Mm -hmm. his back. Gomi doesn't want to be there.
1: Yeah. So I think just those kinds of little things mean that we'll get a pretty good clash on Gomi's terms where he'll be walking into some
2: dangerous shots to make things happen. Yeah. My dangerous shots, but probably getting a few wrestling exchanges being a little more comfortable in the pocket, throwing more combinations.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to pick Gomes, but I think it'll be a wild fight. Like, it'll be uncontrolled and both men. Yeah. Whenever they land, they'll be landing hard.
2: For sure. Yeah, neither of these guys is nearly as slick as they think they are. Yeah,
1: and neither of them fights with a jab at all. Yeah. like Well, all...
2: sometimes, again, he'll, like, start a fight and be like, I'm circling yeah. away from your power hand. Um, I'm keeping you on the end of the jab. His, his footwork is capable of being better than Aaron's who's yeah. or, or kind of falls apart under pressure, but um, it's not sustainable for him yet. He hasn't like yeah. made uh, a, a, just a natural part of how he approaches every fight. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm going to take Gomi's, but I just yeah. think this will be a really wild fight.
2: You know, I think Gomi feels like the right pick. He's got more avenues in, uh, to take the fight out of just a 50, 50 striking Uh, battle, and um, I think he does just have slightly better fundamentals, a little better defensively, a little more diversity to his boxing. Uh, I would love this to be the fight where he comes in and he's just like cruising around on his bike using his jab. I know he's Uh capable of it, but uh, I think it's still going to take a while before that actually gets sort of uh, 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 before that that sinks in, as it were.
1: Neither of these guys have ever been knocked out, so oh. it should make for a pretty wild fight, honestly.
2: Yeah.
1: Odds on the bout. Gomi. It's actually, they spelled it Gomi. Just really? Like Takanori on the uh, odds sheet. They know. William Gomi. Uh, opened open at minus 225. Currently down at minus 219. Jarno Ahrens opened at plus 190. Is currently down at plus 176. So, yeah,
2: he's a uh, topology photo. Yeah, he looks like a. It's sort of like a, This is like could literally be like an R and B album cover. <laughs> that's like the face that like D'Angelo or like Luther Vandross makes for the. That's, <laughs> that's a lady's face, right? That's right. <laughs> I know I'm charming. <laughs> now listen to uh, me. All
1: right, we got another featherweight pack to talk oh, yeah, about. Well,
2: what? I forgot there was one more. I thought we were done.
1: Nope, one more. But another fellow we've to talk about, Charles Jordan, Nathaniel Wood, a certified banger of a fight. Banger. And, man, this is going to be, this is a really hard fight for me to call. Because, yeah. obviously, Nathaniel Wood went out there and he just, like, schooled Charles Rosa. Absolutely. However, he also kind of took his foot off the gas in that fight.
2: Yeah.
1: And let Charles Rosa not even like, not went around or anything, but just back into it a little. (laughs) Oh yeah. And, you know, part of me has to wonder a little bit, just like how well made Nathaniel Wood is still for featherweight. Because he's short, you know. He doesn't have the shortest reach in the world, but he is not a tall tall man. Yeah. His reach will be the same as Charles Jordan, but he's
2: given up three inches of height. Jordan himself isn't that big of a featherweight. Yeah. He's pretty small. In fact, he's frequently the noticeably smaller man.
1: And so there's a part of me that's wondering about that with Wood. Mm -hmm. Like, is he going to be a physically um assertive featherweight because having a fight like he did against uh charles rosa will win him broad swaths uh, large parts of this charles Rodin fight Mm -hmm. but it is a lot more dangerous because Charles Jordan is way more
2: dangerous than you don't even Jordan. You have to make the mistake of letting Jordan back into the fight. He's going to force his way back in.
1: Yeah.
2: He's, Jordan is always going to go nuts in round three, whether with, like, tactical uh, ideas that he's, like, developed over the course of the fight or with just insane aggression. Yeah. He's going to make something happen. Or both. I mean, that Shane Burgos third round was a masterpiece. Yeah. Of like and, excellent boxing molded to just the idea of, I have to kill this guy as quickly as possible. Go, go, go.
1: Yeah. And Burgos is way bigger than. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, Wood or Jordan, even. And so that, you know, that puts us in a hard spot because Nathaniel Wood, like the way Nathaniel Wood approaches his fight, his pressure, his counter punching, his speed, he will almost certainly be able to start out on the right foot winning it. Even some takedowns, maybe Jordan will always give up takedowns, yeah. especially when he's getting backed up and uncomfortable, pushed off his game. But it'll be really dangerous all the way through. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we—it's like at this point, you know, Wood it's like Wood's never been stopped. He got knocked out by John Dodson. And Jordan can hit with that kind of power. Um
2: Yeah, I mean he's typically more attritive.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think he's just typically he's a lot more scary than people think, and they tend to kind of back off of him a
2: little. Yeah. Um, um but, well, he tends to break people over the course of a fight. I mean, uh, yeah, I ra- rather than quickly finish. How many quick finishes does show? It's true. With?
1: It's true. He's he's never he's never been a clean enough striker to be a quick finisher really. not early
2: anyway, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when he when he like one-shot KOs people or hurts them, it's like it it just tends to be round 2 or later. Yeah. Um <sighs> So yeah, I I mean I like I, I still, you, you know, my preferences, I, I like Nathaniel Wood at 145. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he, he looked, I mean, one of the main things that stood out against Rosa is he looked incredibly fast, and he did maintain yeah. a pretty high pace, um, despite, uh, you know, like, taking moments to just kind of stunt on Charles Rosa and, like, let him land, like, I think it was a left hook, he kept letting him land, like, over and over again, he just kept... yeah like, oh, I didn't see that coming. I guess I'll go back to being serious now. Um, but he looked really quick. He did. And, um, I, yeah, I mean, I think he's pretty... I'm pretty certain, in fact, that he's he's going to, like, dominate the first round of this fight.
1: Yeah, he will. I, I, I'll pick Nathaniel Wood just because I think he can keep him... He can keep everything controlled enough to bank two rounds and not get finished. But... I-
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's, it's tough. I mean, I think Jordan is going to have to get really aggressive, Yeah, um, which he's capable of. But as long as it's a range fight, I mean, the trouble is Woods, he's agile. Um, he's a very good kicker. One of the main things that he got to work against Charles Rosa mm-hmm. consistently and very good at dealing with other kickers at range uh, because yeah. he's so mobile. But his footwork does suffer when you just pressure him, mm-hmm. it also suffers when he he will never again he like I think even more than taking his foot off the gas is wanting more and wanting it too eagerly mm-hmm. Nathaniel wood will like that's how he got in trouble with Dobson. He ran in yeah. and like left his feet completely behind, and half the time with Rosa, he was like he was just chewing him up with kicks and um. And then he's like, i want to go into the pocket and I want to throw some punches. And then he would just kind of hang around after doing it. Yeah. Take a little picture and then get caught on the counter. Um, that has
1: regularly been a problem for him. Yeah. Even when he wins, he gets yeah. hit really hard.
2: Not even taking his foot off the gas. It's taking his eye off the ball. That's right. Uh, it the,
1: is the, the, the right sports
2: metaphor. That's right. <laughs> and that is very dangerous against Charles Jordan. It really is. Because Charles Chardin is a really crafty fighter. Mm-hmm. He's like he's brilliant. And it just happens to be bolted on to the like mindset of a brawler. Yeah. Where he's going to do several dozen completely insane things that have no hope of working every fight. At times, he's going to run forward and leave his own stance behind and, and have to depend completely on his durability and his mm-hmm. gas tank but these things are pretty solid and in the midst of all this chaos, he's like very attentive Mm -hmm. looking at openings and he's got the tools, the feints, the jabs um, to like draw out the openings he's seen and he can throw really good tight combinations. Yeah. He works the body uh, and yeah, he's, he is actually just a great counter puncher, a great aggressive counter puncher. Um, So I'm actually going to picture it in. All right. Yeah, Even though I think it might be a fight where he does drop two rounds and has to finish Wood, Yeah, I think he might be able to do it. I don't know that Wood has actually ever faced anyone who is as ferocious as Jordan late in the fight. And maybe that's not a problem, but maybe it is. There's a lot of ways for Jordan. I mean, Jordan is another weird guy here who is like an actual all-terrain fighter, even though that's supposed to be very rare. But um, takes a while to get there, and it's, yep. like a, it's, it's 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 as much a hindrance as it is um, as it is an advantage. What do you awesome. think? About, uh, mm-hmm. One last question: Might Wood out wrestle Jordan, because Jordan's wrestling? Yeah,
1: that's I think especially early. Uh, that is it's one of the things reasons I'm going to stick with Wood as a yeah. pick is that I think that he can just he has enough different tools to go to. Yeah. To ride his way through this and stay controlled. Yeah. But um
2: I'd be lying if I said I was certain about it, you know? Uh-huh. It's a consistent weakness, but it is also remarkable, like everything else in this game, how well round three Charles Jordan will just stuff every takedown without yeah. without any trouble. <laughs> he just gets better over the course of the fight.
1: Wood opened at plus one seventy, he's currently down at plus one fifteen. Jordan opened at minus two hundred, he's currently up at minus one forty. All right, that wraps up the main card. You can find me on Twitter at these You can find Connor on Twitter at BoxingBush. You can find both of us over at PlayOlo.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast on Bloodyo Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. And as always, the MMA Vivid section is brought to you by the Fine Art of Fighting from Chris Reaney. You can find that over at chrisreaney.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and Radio Style Play by Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow. Facebook, at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog. And as always, on bloodyelbow.com.